Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, they're known for their participation in Hallmark movies and Dancing with the Stars. And Carlos and Alexa Penavega, a Christian couple, joined me to talk about a new online series that features a troubled couple with superpowers who have to learn to get along. Plus, for years, Mark Stewart was the lead singer of Audio Adrenaline until he began to encounter vocal problems. Temporarily, his life began to unravel, but God put him on solid ground and is using him powerfully in ministry to people in need. Find out more about his amazing story ahead. Then, from New Jersey's Liquid Church, Tim Lucas offers some principles that his church has used in order to reach out to people with the love of God and the truth of his word. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, Deanna Lynn relates some of her story, which involves the pursuit of a modeling career that turned into being absorbed into pornography and human trafficking. Find out more about God's rescue of her as a victim and the patterns of the victimizers ahead. Finally, with some words of encouragement for men, Brian Tome of Crossroads Church in Cincinnati brings principles related to scripture regarding what it means to be a godly man. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Carlos and Alexa Pettavega are the featured actors in the series The Power Couple, available on the streaming service pureflix.com. In our recent conversation, they shared about the concept and themes of the series, as well as their perspective on marriage. From that conversation, here now are Carlos and Alexa Pettavega. It's very easy to get defensive. It's very easy to feel offended when you're frustrated with your spouse. But even if you disagree, just listen first. <laughs> and I think for uh, for Vince and Gabby on this show, if they would just listen to one another more and really hear each other out, their problems would have been solved way faster. But what I love is when they start going to this Christian counselor, she's able to really get them rooted in God and set their relationship with a godly foundation, which, which allows them to then grow in their relationship in a godly way. These individuals, Gabby and Vince, they learn along the way to communicate. Now, how does the superpower thing kind of work into everything? So basically both of them, they have, you know, they're each individual superpowers. And um, what I think is kind of funny is that they're not really like the prime, you know, superheroes of the world. They're kind of, they're kind of the basics. Uh, so like you know, we have these jumpsuits that say basic. So they're like the basic superheroes. They're they're uh, you know always always seeing what everybody else is doing, and they're like, oh man, I would love, I, like, how come they don't call us for that? And so they're struggling with each other and struggling with their own identities. Their own identities. Um, and uh, you know, I I think that you know that can relate to every to to everyone. It's so easy with social media and and, and this quick access to like. You know the internet because it's 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 an instant see into what everybody else is doing, and and envious. yeah, it's so it's so easy to become envious. Um, you know, I I've been using this this analogy a lot. You know, we just bought Ocean a, a, a trampoline, and it's not the most amazing trampoline in the world, but it's not the worst one. It was what we could afford, and I was thinking like, man, what if what if you know Ocean grows up and he tells me one day that he you know he was really unhappy with the trampoline that we got him. And I'm like, man, that was what we could afford to get him. And he's unhappy with it because he's seeing what the kid next door has. I think about God looking down going, this is, this is the life that I've given you and you're not happy and you're trying to go for something else. Like, like how, how he would feel. Cause I would feel terrible if that was me with ocean and the trampoline. And I'm like, man, 
I really got to just appreciate and be content with where I'm at. And I think, uh, you know, the the uh, characters in the show, they kind of struggle with that because they're always seeing what what these other, you know, these other superheroes, these, you know, what did they call them? Uh, the uh, just the the, you know, the not the not basic superheroes are doing and they're always striving to do that and you know we should do this and it's like hey how about you focus on marriage and how about you focus on what god has given you right now so how is it that you guys kind of balance your marriage with everything else that you've got going on i think you have to structure your priorities we decided about three years ago that los angeles wasn't really a a, um, a place for us yeah yeah it, right. it wasn't allowing uh, our family to really uh, grow like internally, like we, we, we just weren't happy there. And even though that's where our work was, we said, you know what, where do we want to move? And I always had this dream of moving to Maui. Alexa thought I was crazy. We had our first kid and she said, let's go. So, so we ended up putting our marriage and our, and our quality of life first. We, we, you know, our, our value, work, yeah. yeah, I mean, our, our values are, you know, family and, 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 and friendships and, and, and loving on people and, and, you know, being, being a positive influence. And because we shifted all that and didn't make work first, believe it or not, we've worked more than ever. I feel like the Lord has continued to just, you know, bless us in ways that we would have never thought because he's going, you know, he's, he, he's happy that we're putting putting, you know, family first. Yeah. I mean, I, I also think another thing that was a big game changer for, for me and Carlos, when we, when, you know, we started acting a long time ago and the projects that we would take before were very different projects, but also, you know, the reason why we were, we were even in the business before was a completely different reason. It was for selfish reasons. Now we realize, oh my gosh, we've been given this amazing platform to be a light to so many people. Um, so why is it that we're even doing what we're doing? If it's about fame, then we're in it for the wrong reason. If it's about even again, selfish reasons, then, then it's the wrong reason. I really feel like we're in this industry, um, to encourage and inspire and, and to be a light. And I think when you approach it in, in that, uh, you know, kingdom hearted way, it changes the overall outlook, um, completely. You are, you then do become more content with, with where God has you. It isn't this, why am I not doing this kind of movie or why am I not more famous or whatever? Because, it's not about that because it's not about us. Carlos and Alexa Pinabega here on The Intersection. You can find out more about the series by going to pureflix.com. They're on Facebook at The Real Carlos Pinabega and Real Alexa Pinabega. Next, former lead singer of Audio Adrenaline, Mark Stewart, shared about some aspects of his story that involved losing his voice and then discovering what God wanted him to do next. He's the author of the book, Losing My Voice to Find It, How a Rock Star Discovered His Greatest Purpose. He's the co-founder of the Hands and Feet Project. Here now is Mark Stewart. No one could tell me what was wrong with my voice. That was the most frustrating oh. thing. That That's when I really just felt out of control. I began to really despise music. And I, I, like I said, I began to get jaded with the whole situation. And at that point in my life, I really didn't doubt God but I doubted his goodness. I mm. didn't think he was good anymore. Like, how could he be, you know, in that position? Um, and then the band wrapped up. We had to shut down. Um, my marriage ended. And 
it wasn't until about a year after the band was over, I got a diagnosis from the Vanderbilt Voice Center because my voice literally got worse after I quit singing because mm. I was hoping that it would get better. Right. And then for for a year, it just kept diminishing. Um, and I remember, you know, ordering uh, coffee at Starbucks and getting so frustrated because they couldn't hear me at the drive-thru. I just just lost it. I started crying. I just left. Like, what is going on? And then at that point, I, I eventually was diagnosed with an incurable, another dose of good news, vocal disorder called spasmodic dysphonia. Basically, the muscles around my vocal cords spasm, and they keep my voice from projecting. Hmm. Like when I would try to speak loudly or to sing at all, the muscles would just constrict and literally keep me from singing. Um, so that was pretty rough. And then I started to go to Haiti. Um, and like I said, there, God started to rebuild my heart because I was, I, the, the attention was taken off of me. I couldn't think about what I had lost when I was there amongst the Haitian people who were just fighting to survive. Um, they're trying to feed their kids. You know, mm-hmm. they're not worried about another hit song or writing another Grammy winning record or whatever. They're just trying to keep their families together. Mm. And it was there that, you know, I, my attention moved and shifted off of myself and uh, and on to the least of these, I guess. <clears throat> and there I found the beauty of Christ again. And uh, he started to move in my life. I'd, I'd get remarried to a, uh, a lady that loved Haiti as well. Her name was Aegis. And then God put it on our hearts to adopt two Haitian children. And then January... Twelfth, uh, two thousand and ten, we were there in Haiti when the earth shook, mm. and two hundred thousand people died right in, basically in front of us. Um, and then, you know that how God works. The irony of God's storytelling is pretty dramatic. Here's a guy who lost his voice becomes a voice for all these people. I'm starting to speak on CNN and the BBC and. All of a sudden, God was like, hey, I'm going to use your voice in a different way. And people started to comment like, oh, it's ironic that you can barely talk, but you're the voice piece. You know, I'm a little bit oblivious sometimes. But when you get to look back on your stories, you get to see how God shows up. And that's where he started to show up and remind me that I still had a voice. And then I began to become more and more passionate about children and about families, after my adoption, the adoption that Aegis and I and my wife, we adopted a boy and a girl named Journey and Crystalla. And I got to know their heart and the burden that they carried for their biological parents and the, the broken story that they have. Um, we as a family really just took on the mission to fight for families, to keep them together, to do family preservation efforts. And um, that's my voice now. And literally, I, I, I wouldn't trade one day of doing what I do, fighting and speaking up for children and families in need for singing Big House again with Audio Adrenaline. I loved Audio Adrenaline, but it was just a a, a path. It was just a stone to step on along a path that God had for me. Yeah. In fact, as we look back now, Big House, our career song, was given to me through a Haitian children's song. Is the whole reason that song was even written back when I was a missionary kid. And um, it's funny when you look back, 
how obvious it all is. But when you're in the thick of tragedy, when you're in the kind of the moment of desperation, it's hard to see God as good. You're just thinking that you're being punished. And now I'm on the backside of that. And I'm just watching God do miracle after miracle and uh, love and life. That's kind of what the book is about. Mark Stewart here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to com. Well, founder and lead pastor of Liquid Church based in New Jersey near New York City, Tim Lucas, joined me recently. In our conversation, he discussed principles his church has put into practice, about which he writes in the book, Liquid Church, Six Powerful Currents to Saturate Your City for Christ. Here now is Tim Lucas. I truly believe like every church has a unique fingerprint um, that, you know, people that they can reach uniquely. Um, And so God's writing a, a different story, you know, with every single pastor or church leader who I meet. But at the same time, what we discovered are these kind of six, what we call like ministry currents, that the Lord has seemed to be blessing in churches all across the nation of every shape and size. Uh, so, for instance, um, you know, one of them is, uh, I opened the, the chapter called Love the Overlooked, to talk about the explosion um, we're seeing in families and children with special needs uh, in the church. Uh, New Jersey has the highest rate of autism in the nation. It's about 1 in 59 children are along the spectrum in the nation. Here in New Jersey, it's 1 in 34. And so we said, hey, what an incredible opportunity. And so one of the fastest-growing populations of our church are uh, children with autism, Asperger's, ADHD, uh, Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, you name it, we got it. And what we found is, you know, this is really the heart of Jesus. You know, 68% of his miracles were on behalf of people with special needs. Uh, blind, deaf, mute, paralyzed, you know, you name it, Christ really had a heart to start his ministry on the margins. And so as we started reaching out into our communities, we found the more that we served uh, the least, the last, and the lost, those who couldn't pay us back, there's an attractional power to that that really helps reach the entire city. So how do you set out to actually minister to those? Let's let's specifically talk about families that have, say, a special needs member or a special needs child. How do you find that the church effectively reaches that group of people? Yeah, I think most churches have a heart to help, but they don't know where to begin. It's overwhelming. You know, most churches are starved for volunteers. They say, hey, we can, we, we can just about get one volunteer to take care of, you know, a, a class of, you know, uh, you know, seventh grade boys, <laughs> let alone one-on-one uh, trained caregiving for a, a child with perhaps autism or who's nonverbal. Well, for us, it started very grassroots. It wasn't part of a big strategic plan. It really was the Holy Spirit. Uh, there was a family who was coming to our church who had a, a little boy named Ethan, uh, who was along the spectrum, had autism, but he was also with nonverbal. He couldn't speak. And um, they said, you know, how can we take care of, of your child? And really, we were kind of doing babysitting, you know. Um, we really weren't trying to engage, how can we speak his language? How can we present the gospel? Because he has a spiritual capacity to know Christ, but we couldn't, we didn't have the training. And so that mom, Susie, uh, who's now on our staff, she said, well, you know, I think we can do better. And so she began training, and this is the amazing thing, Bob, millennials. So what we have Mm. seen is it's the 20-somethings who are raising their hand and say, use me, because they're the justice generation. 
So they've grown up with inclusive classrooms, inclusive workplaces, but the church is like 30 years behind the culture when it comes to something like this. And so it's the 20-somethings who began volunteering, and we began training to be one-on-one caregivers during the service, and they follow that child. It might be sixth grade all the way to 12th grade. They walk with them every Sunday morning while mom and dad, who are desperate for respite, you know, get that 90 minutes where they can be in the service together, know their child is being well cared for, loved in his language, but then they also receive the gift of worshiping and, and hearing uh, the Word of God together. So that has become a game changer for us because it has moved um, really a whole generation of millennials and Gen Z from the bleachers onto the playing field of ministry. And so I'm very bullish on millennials, you know, as I mm. talk about in the book. I think I think sometimes they get a a bad rap, you know, known as, you know, well, they don't do this or that. We see them wanting to change the world. And when the church gives them an opportunity, they jump at the chance. Tim Lucas here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to liquidchurch.com. Well, this is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting faithradio.org. In the programming section, you'll find a link to The Meeting House homepage, through that homepage, you'll find a link to the media center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast. Conversations from the Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and TuneIn. Learn more when you visit the Meeting House homepage. Also, through that homepage, you'll find out information about the Intersection podcast. It's available through the Media Center. You can also find it on iTunes. Plus, there are links to two blogs. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content, including more recently added content from the 2019 Christian Product Expo International event held in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Again, you can go to meetinghouseonline.info or visit the programming section at faithradio.org. The author of the book, Purchased, Leaving the Sex Trade, Deanna Lynn, who is affiliated with Refuge for Women, spoke with me recently and described how she was lured into a life of pornography and the sex trade, as well as her exit and her dedicating herself to the Lord. Here now from that conversation is Deanna Lynn. Unfortunately, because the demand is so high, they're able to get girls at a lot faster rate um, than they were before. But, I mean, there are, like, legalities and stuff like that when it comes to contracts. But, I mean, they'll tell you, producers, the male performers, the females, like, once you're here, like, you will never be able to do anything else. And I still deal with performers that live in brothels now that used to have, like, a big name in the industry, but they they can't get any work anymore and they don't know how to do anything else. And so they're just drinking and working in brothels now. And it just, it just goes from one form of sex trade to the next. And, and it's like, well, where, where do we stop this demand and supply? Well, let's talk about what you saw God do in your life. Tell me about the spiritual aspect of, we might, as we might say, your, your exit or perhaps mm-hmm. better said, your rescue. Sure. Um, so um, my story is interesting in the fact that like I used to profess that I was a Christian while I was in the industry, and, and people distorted that in all sorts of awful ways. 
But um, the one thing that I knew is that Jesus died for me, too. And for some reason, I knew that even though, like, that was my life, I wasn't exempt from that gift. But I didn't know what to do with that. I had no discipleship. I had nobody to show me how to live in that freedom or to make choices that keep me free. And so that was the only thing that I held on to with all my heart and my life. Um So then I end up reading The Purpose Driven Life, and it talks about, like, how it's not about me, and, like, there's something so much bigger, and I end up getting baptized, and... Um, and so like, it was this, it was this really slow pursuit, but it was a beautiful one because like, he just kept meeting me places. Like, like people would show up with these, um, Bibles that says Jesus loves porn stars. And, and some of the other people would laugh, but I'm like, see, like, I knew he loved me too. I'm not sure why, (laughs) but, um, but I believed. And so, what had happened is that uh, once I was able to exit the industry, um, I was on a church plant team. Like I gave myself over to this life. I saw healthy, authentic people in relationships. Um, but the paranoia and the PTSD of my old life, like I couldn't escape from. And so it was my church that ended up sending me to the refuge for women um, so that I could heal. Because like I just wanted to start my new life and never look back. But But I didn't know how to how to move forward with, with all of that damage that was done the first 28 years of my life. And so I needed a safe place where like, I didn't have to worry about who was going to come in my bed or who was going to hurt me. And, and, um, and I finally got that safe place. Deanna, you were mentioning the refuge for women organization. You became involved in that you still work with you're affiliated with refuge for women. So tell me what you learned there and how you as we might say, how you transferred from from being on the receiving end to actually being in a position where you're you are helping women. Yes. Um, so I think uh, one of the things that I, I needed at that point is I, I had a few years of sobriety, so I didn't need just another rehab. But most women will probably still come in you know, detoxing, on drugs, coping, and stuff like that. Um, But what I needed is a place where I could deal with what it was like to have been purchased by every class of human being for the last 10 years and how I'm supposed to integrate back into society. And so with the Refuge for Women, what they did is we had these classes like on boundaries and healthy relationships, what normal dating looks like. I didn't know what a date looked like or what I was to expect if I ever went out with a man or Um, so a lot of like the basics that we didn't get growing up, we kind of get retaught. Um, and at the same time, you're going through counseling and healing and dealing with the trauma. Um, and then we reintroduce like the job skills, the schooling and, and start to think about like, what is it that we dreamed about? What is it that God had purposed over our lives before the sex industry like hijacked it? Because a lot of times what happens is, is you go into the sex industry and you can't, you can't remember ever like what you thought you might be able to do. And then we start working towards doing those things. And I, I think that was probably one of the most healing things for me is realizing that like there was a purpose for me before I, I got hijacked and mm. off track and finding that purpose again. Deanna Lynn here on The Intersection. The organization's website is refugeforwomen.org. 
Finally, on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's the senior pastor of Crossroads Church in Cincinnati, Brian Tome, who shared words of insight and encouragement for men, including enunciating the differences between men and boys, material related to his book, The Five Marks of a Man, Finding Your Path to Courageous Manhood. Here now is Brian Tome. Guys don't have um, a mind space to understand how do I behave. They've never seen their dad be out-earned by their mom. They've never seen their grandfather out-earned by their grandmother. This is a unique thing that men, we've, we've never had to deal with, and now we're dealing with it. Another one, most guys don't know how to work their hands any longer. Factory jobs are gone, and it's not just factory jobs are gone. Most guys have never changed the oil in their car. And again, I pay someone to pay, change the oil in my car, but I also do things with my hands. The average guy, if he's not doing something with his hands, there's a level of satisfaction and accomplishment he feels that you can't feel when you stare at a computer screen and you walk away from a cubicle. There, I mean, these are just two or three off the top of my, off the top of my head. There's, there's three or four others that all contribute to being a situation where men are being active shooters right now, men are misbehaving badly, men are two times more likely than women to commit suicide, four times more likely than women to have mental illness. We, uh, I think it's four times the amount of, um, of alcohol abuse and binge drinking. I mean, the stats for what's happening in men, for men in our, in our country, Bob, is not good. It's all going down. Our conversation earlier talking about some of these issues that are really afflicting, as we might say, or being lived out by men today, I think really leads into a substantive discussion of what you put forth in Five Marks of a Man. And one of the the main points that you make is, yes, there is a difference between men and boys, and it's not age. So comment on that, please. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really interested in the difference between men and women. I'm more interested in the difference between men and boys. There's a huge difference. There are 15-year-old men, and there are 45-year-old boys. And I, I also would say this, is, this sounds really odd. I even hate that the research indicates this. But being a man is faith agnostic, meaning... There are Christian men who are going to heaven, and on this earth, they're boys. And there are atheist men who are going to hell, and on this earth, they are men. This isn't a statement of what religion is right, who's closer to God. This is simply a code that, uh, that I've uncovered that every single guy that we all respect, every single true biblical hero in the Bible— has these five marks, and these are the five things I like to walk guys through. Of these five things, all of us have boyish tendencies. None of us are perfect, but these are the five things that inspire us, and we all need to work to and have a mind. So, number one, and these are not in any specific order, but here they are. Men have a vision a boy lives day to day. Boys can't think long term. Boys don't go through difficulty for long term. That's what a vision is. It's something that's long term and it's difficulty. Two, men work and a boy plays a boy just wants to get up that day and have a fun day a man wants to a man wants to add value to other people's lives that's what work is three a man is a protector and a boy is a predator boys will take 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 they will take from their parents they will take 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 from the government 
They'll take, take, take from any woman who will give them something. But a man protects, protects everybody around him. Number four, a man, uh, a man is a team player, and a boy lives to be the MVP. Boys are all personal focused. What am I doing? How is this going to affect me? Whereas a man thinks about the team and the community as a whole. And then five, a man takes a minority position. Boys have to be in the majority. Boys need groupthink. Boys need to feel like everyone thinks like them. We're us as men. We're going to soar above it all. Boys are like pigeons. They make a lot of noise. They flock and they eat all the scraps that are on the, on the sidewalk. But men are like falcons or like eagles. There's fewer of us. We soar above it. Um, and we eat better than pigeons do as well. But we're in the minority. If you get me talking about sex, how sexists operate, I know I will always be in the minority. I know that people will never understand why I believe what I believe sexually. It's because what the, it's what the Bible says, and that's what I've found that works. You, you look, take a look at how I structure my finances, why the first 10% of my gross income has to go to my local church. I know that that's weird, and I know that people don't do that. I also know that I'm right. It's what the Bible says. And I'm in the minority. Brian Tome here on The Intersection. Learn more by going to the website, Brian Tome. that's B-R-I-A-N, Tome, T-O-M-E, dot com. We're nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Again, you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org or visit meetinghouseonline.info to access the homepage where you can find the media center. That's the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast. The podcast can also be found in that media center or through iTunes. Plus, you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Through the homepage, there are links to two blogs. One is the front room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House, as well as the weekly post in The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. And you can access video content as well. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or visit faithradio.org and go to the Meeting House homepage in the programming section. Content from the Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.